But in the last days, God is going to do a, a different work among Israel. And I believe we're close to those days. One day, that last Gentile will come to faith in Jesus Christ. The number will be full. The fullness of the Gentiles, it means to make complete or a state of completeness. God has a number and only he knows. As believers in Jesus Christ, we're all part of that number today. But apparently, the number's not complete yet. Or God would have come for his church by now. And so we're waiting for that day. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Today we're going to learn of that phrase, the fullness of the Gentiles. We're going to connect with something that we've heard about in church, and it only that phrase only coming here in Romans chapter 11. What's it mean? When the fullness of the Gentiles come in, we're going to look at that today in a message that I entitled to God be the glory forever. I have broken this message into three sections, the natural and the wild olive trees, verses 16 through 24, the fullness of the Gentiles, verses 25 through 32, and the wisdom and knowledge of God, verses 33 through 36. Father, help us as we go through this passage. Help to bring understanding to our lives and help us, Lord, to have thanksgiving for the work that you're doing in our lives. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Secondly, verses 25 through 32, he speaks about the fullness of the Gentiles. This is something that uh, we hear about a bit in church when the fullness of the Gentiles will come in. And we read about this in verses 25 through 32. Again, I'll read the context for you. Verse 25, it says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise of your own opinion, that hardening in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the Deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God is irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so these who have now been disobedient, 
that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on them all. Again, we're talking about the election of God. We're talking about the sovereignty of God. And admittedly so, these are hard things to understand. But he warns the church in verse 25. He said, don't be ignorant. And it means uh, don't be unaware or ignorant of these things about this mystery. You know, we speak about a mystery. I think of something that is puzzling, uh, whether in real life or in a book or movie or a play. But according to the word of God, a mystery is a truth that is beyond human understanding. Deuteronomy 29, 29, we read this on Wednesday as well. It says, the secret things belong to our Lord, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may all do the words of this law. The mystery, the secret things, they belong to the Lord, but those things which he has revealed to us in Paul, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery Here's the revelation that he reveals to them. This mystery that blindness in part has happened to the Israel, that the fullness of the Gentiles might come in. And one day, a day which God only knows, the last Gentile will come to faith in Jesus Christ. And when this day happens, God will turn his attention toward Israel once again. I would say fully toward Israel once again. It's not that he has neglected them. God is working in the nation of Israel today. But in the last days, God is going to do a a different work among Israel. And I believe we're close to those days. One day, that last Gentile will come to faith in Jesus Christ. The number will be full. The fullness of the Gentiles, it means to make complete or a state of completeness. God has a number and only he knows. As believers in Jesus Christ, we're all part of that number today. But apparently, the number's not complete yet, or God would have come for his church by now. And so we're waiting for that day. And so all Israel will be saved. He's actually quoting here from Isaiah 59, where he says, all Israel will be saved. That the deliverer, it's a, it's a word that, speaks about one who shields, guards, or protects, that the deliverer will come out of Zion, uh, not Zion, Illinois. Although the Lord can work in Zion. I'm from there, so not anymore, but I was raised up in that town. The deliverer will come out of Zion. He'll come out of Israel, out of Jerusalem. And he'll turn away ungodliness from Jacob. One day, the Lord is going to show himself to the Jewish people. The Redeemer, Isaiah 59, 20, it says, will come out of Zion. And to those who turn from transgression in Jacob. And although Isaiah and Paul look forward to the future work of God in the last days among the people of Israel, the Lord Jesus is able to deliver us to this day. He's able to turn ungodliness from us to take us from a state of unbelief into belief because it's through Jesus's work on the cross he's paid the debt of our sin through his death burial and resurrection that because of this we have been set free that is those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ may we never forget 
in John 1.29 that it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so these gifts and calling, they're irrevocable concerning the gospel. Verse 28, they were enemies for your sake, but concerning election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. We think about it, the Jews' rejection of Jesus, it ultimately led to his going to the cross, but it paved the way for the gospel. And here's Paul's accounting of the gospel message from 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, where Paul said, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you have received in which you stand, by which you are also saved, if you hold fast to the words which I preach to you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. That he was buried and that he rose again, according to the scripture. This is the gospel, that Christ died, was buried, and that he rose again, according to the word of God. And though Israel is viewed as enemies because of their unbelief, their rejection of Christ, it is because of God's election they are the beloved of God. God sees them still as his people. He sees them as his beloved. I was talking to a gentleman on the phone this Friday, uh, normally not around church on Fridays, but I happened to be here, and I took one of the phone calls that came in. I was talking to a man who uh, was willing to come from Rockford to get to a Calvary chapel because he had been listening to one of the Calvary pastors from California, and his brother told him, you need to find a Calvary chapel. And uh, apparently we were the closest one he could find. And I told him, you know there's one in Rockford, right? You don't have to come all the way over here. He didn't know that, so hopefully he's there. But I was talking with him on the phone this week, and I was reminding him of the love of God, reminding him of this everlasting covenant that God has with Israel. And we need to not forget this, that God's election, they are beloved of God, God is still going to do a work in the nation of Israel. I believe that to this day. It's why, as a Christian, I support the nation of Israel today. And sadly, in churches in the United States and Europe today, there are churches that reject the nation of Israel. They say that God is no longer doing a work in the nation of Israel, but God is working in the nation of Israel today. Just because we can't quite figure it out, this is God's sovereignty, and that's what makes it this almost an enigma. They're enemies of Christ, but they're the beloved of Christ. They're a beloved enemy. And I was telling this man on this phone, and this is the point I actually wanted to get to. Finally, it came back to this brain of mine. If we consider our own children, if they go wayward, they're still our children. We still love them. We still try to help them or pray for them or guide them and direct them even when they're adults. Me as a father, my children are my children, even though they are uh, a bit older than they used to be. They're still my kids. I still love them. I still pray for them. 
I still attempt to, as a parent of adult children, guide them without trying to be too pushy in the process of doing that, but to be there for them and to help them. God, the same way with the nation of Israel, they're still his covenant people. He still loves them. They are the beloved, but now in a state of unbelief. And perhaps we have children who they're our beloved, but they're in a state of unbelief. They don't believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It doesn't mean that we love them any less. We pray that they would come to faith in Jesus Christ. In Psalm 105, verses 8 through 10, it says, He remembers his covenant forever, the word which he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath with Isaac and confirmed it to Jacob for a statute to Israel, an everlasting covenant. And why does God remember? Because the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. It's a word that means not of repentance or unregretted that God has no regret concerning this. Remember, Moses wrote to us in Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, or the son of man that he should repent. He has said, and he will do it. Or he has spoken, and will he not make good? God, he's not like us. But even in our fallen condition, if we can understand having children who are not believers in Jesus Christ, children who are without faith, if we can understand that even though they are enemies of Christ, they are still our beloved, then it gives us a glimpse of God. Though at this time Israel is enemies of Christ, that the Gentiles might come in to faith, they are still, because of election, the beloved of God. Verses 30 through 32 he reminds us, we were once disobedient to God, but now we have obtained mercy through their disobedience. Even so, these also now have been disobedient that they might be shown mercy, that the mercy shown you that they might also obtain, that God has committed them all to disobedience that all might obtain mercy. Again, dealing with the sovereignty of God, but he reminds the Gentile believers that we were all once disobedient people, but through faith in Jesus Christ, we have obtained mercy. And likewise, though the Jews are currently in disobedience, one day they will receive the mercies of God. Romans 11, 11 says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not, for through their fall... To provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And thankfully, through the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross, mercy is available to whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord. They will be saved. And so he says, in the wisdom and the knowledge of God, closes out in verses 33 through 36. Oh, the depth and the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are your judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him that it should be repaid? For of him and through him and to him are all things. 
to whom be the glory forever. Amen. Speaking about the vastness of God, his creative power, his wisdom, his knowledge, his uncomparable nature. And some believe since the wisdom and the knowledge of God is deep, which it is, unsearchable, I agree, it is, past finding out, yes. There are some who actually believe that, then why bother studying the word of God? Because it's beyond our comprehension. But remember those things, as we read earlier from Deuteronomy 29, 29, those things that have been revealed to us, they belong to us and to our children after us. Here we have the written word of God that's been revealed to us. Then God's word belongs to us. Then why shouldn't we want to study it, to read it, to learn from it? And moreover, we have the Holy Spirit who helps us. In 1 Corinthians 2.10, he has revealed to them through the Holy Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. We have the promised Holy Spirit to help us, to give us understanding. Therefore, we should seek the Spirit's help as we explore the Word of God. Paul now writing words regarding the work of God's salvation among the Jews and the Gentiles. And in many ways, it's mysterious to us. There was an opening of the door of salvation among the Gentiles while the door was closed among the Jews. One day, the reverse will take place. The fullness of the Gentiles will come in. The door of faith to the Gentiles will be closed. And the door of faith to the Jews then will be opened once again. Then when the fullness of the Gentiles finally comes in, God reopening this door, it will be said, as it says in Psalm 145.3, that great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. And I have personally concluded the more that I learn about the Lord and his word, uh, the more I seem that I don't know. But it doesn't stop me from studying the word of God. I can tell you that I know a bit more than I used to, but there is so much that I love it in discovery. Remember a few weeks ago I shared with you, in fact, I think I shared it last week as well, the verse that changed my life from Romans 10, 14, which simply said, how shall they hear without a preacher? That when I read that verse on a Sunday morning back in 1989, I knew the Lord was calling me to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it was a verse that still to this day, it amazes me. It was a verse that I'd previously underlined in my Bible. It's even underlined in this Bible right now. It spoke to me in some way, enough that I would underline it. I don't highlight every verse in the Bible. I don't underline every word in the Bible. But I underline those who speak to me in a special way. I highlight them uh, in my own method that I have developed now after being in the ministry for so many years. But the amazement of the word of God, the more we study it, perhaps the more we say, man, I just don't get that one. Or maybe he brings understanding, but he can speak to us. He can take a verse that is so familiar to us, one that we love, one that we have underlined, and he can speak to us in a fresh and a special way. I love it how Paul wrote in verse 36, of him and through him and to him. Of, through, and to, in verse 35, 
who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him. You know, we don't have to give to God that he might owe us or repay us anything. It's not that God is under obligation to us. That's what Paul is trying to say here. He's saying it well. God is not under obligation to us. And this perhaps goes against the thought of so many people, a misnomer throughout the world when it comes to faith in Jesus Christ. There are a number of people who believe that by their good works, they'll make it to heaven. And in that sense, it would mean that when you get to heaven, you would be saying to God, you have to let me into heaven because look at the things that I've done in your name. And that's not true. It is God who first gave. He first gave by creating the world and all that's in it. He first gave by even after the fall of mankind, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord should be saved. It is God who first so loved the world that he gave Jesus that salvation might come to whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. So it's of him, it's through him, and it's to him. All things to whom be the glory forever. Amen. God is the object for everything and of everyone. It is all about God and his glory. It is of him and to him and through him. And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 8, 6, there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. And may it be that we would give Jesus all the glory due his name. To God be the glory forever. And as the natural and the wild olive trees, we discover that as believers, uh, we have been grafted in, whether Jewish or Gentile today, whatever nationality you might come through. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been grafted into the natural olive tree, that which God intended from Father Abraham, his descendants after him. We partake in the fruit and the fullness of that tree. And that of the fullness of the Gentiles, when they come in, when that one day they will be, the last Gentile will be saved. I keep thinking of a, a pastor from years ago. I heard that every time someone would come forward to receive Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of their life, the pastor would just take a short step back and and quickly pray to the Lord, is this the last one? He was always watching out for the last one. And today, perhaps today, wouldn't that be something? The last of the number comes in. We have to know that when that last number comes in, God is going to then complete the work among the Gentiles and begin to focus his attention on Israel once again. I believe personally that that will coincide with the rapture of the church, that the church itself will be drawn into heaven, that God will begin to work as he is already preparing for the last days. And in the wisdom and the knowledge of God, may it be that we would give God, that we would give Jesus Christ, that we would give the Holy Spirit all the glory due their name as children of God. 
We thank you, Lord, for your word and for what it teaches us. We think about that phrase, the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And largely here in the United States, Lord, the church is made up of Gentiles, just like in Rome that Paul was writing to in his day. Paul shared nearly 2,000 years ago that one day that number of Gentiles will be complete. And the fact, the Lord, that we still remain, that uh, the church still exists, largely that of the Gentiles, it means that the number has not yet been made complete. And so, Father, those who are believers today, we are all part of that number of the the great church, uh, the capital C of your church, Father. And I pray, Lord, that even this day, you would add to the number of your church. And so be it, Lord, if today is the day that that last number will come in, may our hearts even now prepare for the future work that you have for your church and for the people of Israel. Help us, Lord, to be faithful until that day in all that we do. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today. And may the Lord richly bless you as you worship him today.